welcome to Small Town Mysteries, where we talk about shit that went down in these small towns, shit that's unsolved, and shit that led to more shit. Except so far, none of these stories actually involve shit. I'm still very much looking forward to the day that we have a case that actually is like related to shit, so I can't say that anymore. I'm Kate, here with Christine. Hello. And Rachel. Hello. Bringing you our fifth episode, and for this one, we are going back to Christine and I's hometown, but we are also covering a bit of where Christine and Rachel went to college. Yeah. So it's a nice uh, mashup of a few different small towns. So we're talking about Mara Murray. Christine and I are from the same hometown as Mara Murray, Mm -hmm. and then she went to UMass Amherst, which is where Christine and Rachel went to college. So we've got quite a few little minor connections going on here, and I think, uh, yeah, you guys want to get into it? Definitely. I'm very excited for this one. I'm very excited because I literally have spent the last days, like the last days of my life, just researching this case. There's just so much. It's so crazy. I also want to say like just before we do get started, there is like so much on this. So we're unsure like what's accurate and what's not because there's obviously three sides to every story, but there's Mm -hmm. way more in this case. So I just wanted to put that out there before we really get started. There's a lot of information on this, so much so that it's like overwhelming. So that's my point is that I know we all tried our best to keep it like understandable. Yeah. So Rachel is going to kick us off with uh, some background and uh, the intro sort of section. All right, ladies, buckle up. I'm buckled. I'm sad. (laughs) So Mara Murray was born on May 4th, 1982 in Brockton, Massachusetts, to Fred and Lori Murray. Fred was a medical technician and Lori was a nurse, but she was actually raised in the nearby town of Hanson. What, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Maura was one of five siblings. She had two brothers and three sisters. She was the youngest daughter of the children, Her siblings' names are Fred Jr., Kathleen, Julie, and Curtis. Julie is two years older than Mara and is still very active in trying to find out what happened to Mara. She's very vocal on TikTok. So if you want to look at that, her TikTok is Mara Murray Missing. All right, so let's go back to Mara's childhood. Mara's parents got divorced when she was only six years old. After this, she primarily lived with her mom, but had frequent visits with her father. Fred would often pick her up from school and also coach the basketball and softball teams that she was a part of. As Maura got older, their bond grew much stronger and closer. Fred was an avid runner and hiker, and they would often go on weekend trips together to various mountains in New Hampshire. Maura was known for, like, loving the outdoors. Mm-hmm. So, Maura appeared to be the girl that had everything, Even from a young age, she was described as an overachiever. I found this on so many different websites, which this really sounds like a lot of pressure, which could have impacted her later on, like especially impacted her mental health. Mm -hmm. For sure. So Maura went to Whitman Hanson Regional High School. Same. I'm sure that sounds familiar to you guys. Yep. (laughs) So did we, but we went to school in a different building. Yeah, there was a new school by the time we went. Yeah. She was known for being a brilliant student and a very talented athlete. She was an honor student. She was part of the National Honor Society. She participated in about every sport you could possibly think of, which, like, you go, girl. She played 
competitive AAU basketball, which gave her the opportunity to travel around New England. Mora was a fierce competitor, especially when it came to track. She consistently finished in the top tiers of runners in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. She broke multiple long-standing school records, yes. which, of course, because I'm that kind of person, I had to look it up to see if she still had any. And I found a blog that like lists all of them, which is honestly pretty mm-hmm. interesting, but I didn't see her there. Oh, interesting. I thought mm-hmm. she still held at least one, but it's like I said, I mean, it was a while ago. I didn't really see anything before the 2000s. Hmm. Okay. All right. So Mara was selected as a Boston Globe All-Scholastic in cross-country. When she was a sophomore, she qualified for the U.S. National Scholastic Outdoor Championship in the two-mile race in 1998. Hmm. She finished 33rd out of everybody in, like, the whole country. What? That's impressive. That yeah, impressive. I know. I knew she was a good runner, but I hadn't like found the stats or anything. So that's actually like super awesome. No, she was really, really talented. She was also very active in her local community. She was known for her kind heart, signature dimples, and yep. gorgeous smile. Mara's outstanding performance on the track team caught the eye of the West Point athletic recruiters. Mm-hmm. So Mara attended West Point for a year and a half. She was there for a total of three semesters. She majored in chemical engineering, which, like, she was clearly smart. Yeah, for real. (laughs) When my brother's a chemical engineer, I can vouch for how intense it is. It's also important just to note that West Point was significant in the Murray household because her sister, Julie, had also went there. It was believed that Maura felt like there was a lot of pressure on her from her family, especially her dad, to like follow in her sister's footsteps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, of course, everyone expected Maura to be a shining star when she got to West Point, because that's who she was in high school. Again, a lot of pressure. Doesn't sound really healthy. No. During her time at West Point, Mara met Army Lieutenant William Roush. Roush? Roush? Roush. Roush. Okay. Well, I'm going to call him Billy just because that's what Maura called him. So I will be calling him Billy throughout all of this. Billy was a couple years older than Maura. Hmm. So in August of 2001, Maura and her fellow cadets traveled to Kentucky to attend a training exercise at Fort Knox. While at Fort Knox, Maura stole makeup from the commissary. I'm pretty sure she stole lip gloss, Mm -hmm. which was like $5, something like that. Mm -hmm. So this incident led to an honor investigative hearing where it was determined that there was enough evidence to take this case to the cadet advisory board. Maura decided to plead guilty. The honors board recommendation was to expel Maura from West Point. However, the final decision was up to the superintendent, and he was anticipated to announce his decision at the end of January of 2002. Okay. So Mora was given the opportunity to voluntarily withdraw from the academy before being officially expelled. So that's definitely better than... Yeah, it, it would look a lot better on her record to yeah, have a withdrawal instead of an expulsion. So this was like a quote I found that just like kind of got me angry, so I had to include it. <laughs> <laughs> her military career was over before it started all over an item of makeup that was worth less than $5. 
And I was just like, well, that was kind of insensitive. Maybe she didn't want it and she was trying to self-sabotage. Who knows? Yeah. I guess so, yeah. I also feel like that's a pretty good summary of exactly what happened, was that she stole a $5 tube of lip gloss and got kicked out of her school. Yeah, they are notorious for being very- Strict. Strict. Yeah. Like, if you go to a military school, you're going to a military school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, where did she end up after West Point, Rach? Oh, a place near and dear to my heart. (laughs) Uh, UMass Amherst. Zoomass. Which me and Christine both went to. Yeah. (laughs) And we literally made sure to talk about (laughs) how much we drank when we were at UMass. Just because people allege that she was a heavy drinker. But, like, she was a college student. Yeah. So I literally, I texted Christine and I was like, how much did we drink when we were in college, you think? And she comes back with a metric fuck ton. (laughs) (laughs) At least. Yeah. At least. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you know what? That's pretty accurate. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as we just said, she transferred to UMass to pursue nursing. So both of her parents were part of the medical field. Her mom was actually a nurse. Um, So this could have influenced Mm -hmm. her decision to become a nurse in the first place. Mm-hmm. So her relationship with Billy continued while she was at UMass and even after he graduated from West Point. Maura seemed to be doing well at UMass. She was getting straight A's. Ooh. I know. That is, that's good. That's like very impressive. Especially for nursing. I was going to say for nursing. I know they have a stricter curve for nursing. But yeah. That just usually means you don't see a lot of nursing students getting like D's. But straight yeah. A's is... An accomplishment. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. As we all know, most of the time, things are never as they actually seem. Mora did end up getting into trouble while she was at UMass. So Mora lived in Kennedy Hall, a dormitory located in Southwest. So for people that don't know, that's considered the party area. Yeah, oh. the towers. I wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that background. I'm sitting here, I'm like, does that mean something? You're making a face. Like, it means something. <laughs> That's the area that's known for, like, the most crazy shit. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's where all, like, the riots end up yep. and uh, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. And, like, what's really kind of scary is I, I think about this a lot. For some reason, I don't really know why. But there's balconies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know where I'm going with this. Um, obviously, there has been a good amount of suicides, which is horrible. Yeah. Now they're, like, blocked off because we're like, okay, we can't trust these drunk kids. Yeah, we had balconies in some of the buildings at Simmons, but they were all locked off. They were only accessible with, like, a special tap card that, like, maintenance only had for that exact reason. And we were only, like, four stories up. Our our tallest dorm was five stories, so it was, like, not even towers or very tall buildings, but it's a serious consideration. For sure. I also heard that people were, like, throwing couches out from the window. It wasn't just that. It was also people just creating chaos. Well, they call it Zoomass for a reason. all right so like i said she lived in kennedy hall i don't know if it was set up like exactly the same way it was when we went obviously but you had to have an id to get into the building Mm -hmm. um, which gave residents a false sense of security because crime did Mm -hmm. happen you can always hold the door for someone who you think is a fellow student and reality maybe they're a murderer (laughs) i mean I guess. (laughs) No, I know. You could say that about anything, though. Like the grocery store or the movie theater. I always think about that at movie theaters. Really? What? That you always think of the movie theater about 
Well, it's because there's been like the mass shootings at movie theaters oh. before, and I don't, I don't always think about it, but like, I do regularly think about like, okay, this, I don't think this will get me in trouble. I usually bring a large water bottle to the movie theater because water bottles at movie theaters are ridiculously overpriced. Well, so I bring one. Yeah, and hide it in my purse. And I always get through. And I always think there's no one checking anything at our local movie theaters. Someone could literally just bring in a gun in their bag. Mm -hmm. Yep. In the past few years, they've gotten a little stricter. Like if it's a bag over a certain size, you have to like leave it at the ticket counter and stuff. I've never actually seen them take someone's backpack to hold behind the ticket counter. It's just that they have signs Mm -hmm. up saying they will. So it's like, I wouldn't bring like a backpack to a movie theater. But if you bring like a purse, they're probably not going to check it never happened to me but it will fit a large water bottle and all of my other stuff (laughs) at simmons we had whole seminars about piggybacking for campus security Mm -hmm. like campus security would come and talk to us about not letting people in the building unless you knew they lived there and then like i definitely a handful of times like shut a door in someone's face because i didn't know if they lived there or not Wait, really? I literally, I literally wrote in here. I was like, I always felt like an ass because I always would just keep the door open because I didn't want to shut it in someone's face. Like the handful of times it happened because it really only did it like two or three times. One time it was like someone's boyfriend and he was like, I'll wait out here anyway. It's fine. And then one time I let it, because I went to a women's centered college. So generally speaking, we didn't have men living in our dorms. So anytime there was like a man trying to get in, I would be like, um, hmm, gonna shut the door in your face. But I never felt bad about it. I literally could not do that. Like I, if it was that much of a rule, like I wouldn't have shut it in their face. I literally would have been like pretend that I forgot something or was looking for something in my bag and been like, oh, you go first. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hundred percent what I would do every single time. And then I would wait around. (laughs) All right. So back to it. Yes. In November 2003, one of the female students living in Kennedy Hall found an unknown purchase that she did not authorize on her bank statement. She immediately called her bank and reported the fraudulent charges. She then called the police. So when she looked for her credit card, it was in her wallet. And she swore that it had never left her wallet at any point. Hmm. So this means that the physical bank card was not stolen. Obviously, unless somebody snuck into a room and just grabbed the information, but that's not actually how it happened. You'll find out soon. Okay. So she was unsure exactly, but somebody somehow got a hold of her credit card information. So all of these charges were from restaurants, mostly Italian or pizza places. So the total of these charges was 7,902. So I know when you first hear $80, you're like, well, that's not really that much money. But then you take a step back and remember that that's a substantial amount of money for a broke-ass college student. Yeah. That's Which, like, I can definitely relate to. <laughs> so around midnight on November 3rd, a customer called, I'm probably going to butcher this too, La Cucina de, de Pinocchio. I think you crushed it. That was wonderful. I'm not You're Italian. You're literally Italian now. <laughs> you are <laughs> <been> Italian. <laughs> I even did the yes. hand thing, okay? I signaled them. Yeah. To place a delivery while attempting to use the stolen credit card. So somehow 
the restaurant immediately knew that this customer was trying to use a stolen credit card number. But like, how do you figure that out? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just thought that was like, yeah, weird. Maybe it was like something that she said or did. Yeah, like the way she was talking or reading the numbers off or something. Maybe she like weirdly hesitated. I don't know. But Hmm. their spidey senses were tangling. Okay. So after taking the order, the restaurant immediately called the police and asked like, what the heck are we supposed to do here? And Mm. of course, police were like, let's do a sting operation. Heck yeah. Oh, yeah. They were definitely bored that night. (laughs) I was going to say, they had nothing better to do. Like, I'm (sighs) thinking about this, and I'm just like, obviously this is horrible. Like, you shouldn't do this to somebody. But there's a lot worse crimes out there. 80 bucks. Yeah. The police told the restaurant owner to first print out the receipt and then have the delivery driver go to the person who ordered the food and then get them to sign it. And, of course, the police were hiding on the down low parked somewhere off to the side where they couldn't be seen from the door. Once the customer started to sign the receipt, boom, police pop up and take over the scene. Classic. The police asked to see the credit card that was used. The customer hesitated and then told them that the credit card was in her dorm room. So as we all know, this customer was Mara Murray. Mm -hmm. The police officers accompanied her to her room where Mara handed them her credit card with her name on it. But obviously, this was not the card used to order the food in question. Mm -hmm. When confronted about it, Mora admitted to ordering the food with a stolen credit card. She confessed to doing this six times, but couldn't explain why she did it. Hmm. Mora claimed that she got the number off of a receipt in a trash can located in one of the common areas. They didn't only do the last four digits? Don't they usually do that on receipts? But maybe they used to print the whole thing. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. Like that was that just a new thing? Hmm. I have no idea. I don't know. Hmm. All right, so Mora was not taken away in handcuffs, but she was photographed and told that she would need to come to the police station at some point the following week to be interviewed. She arrived at the police station on November 9th, as instructed, where she admitted to using the credit card but refused to give a written statement. Mara apologized profusely and promised to pay all the money back. The officer said that her cooperation would be taken into consideration, but she was going to have to have her day in court to face charges for credit card fraud. Since the amount of money stolen was less than $250, it was considered a very low-level charge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Mara had a hearing on December 18th. Since this was Mara's first offense and she did not have a crim- criminal background, the judge was fairly lenient with her. First, she had to reimburse the victim for the stolen money. And then second, she had to stay out of trouble for three months, which really isn't that long, like in the grand scheme of things. Mm -mm. No, not really. So if she got into any type of trouble whatsoever, she'd have to face charges for identity theft and credit card fraud. It doesn't appear like she told anyone about this, but if she stayed out of trouble for 90 days, like no one would have to know. Yeah. Because it would just be poof. Okay. No one expected this type of behavior from Mora in the first place. People in Mora's life described her as a person who did not need an incentive to not break the law. Her friends said that she had never been in trouble before this, but after digging a bit deeper, police determined that her friends were incorrect. Mora had been in trouble before. She was forced to leave West Point, 
because of stealing. Mm -hmm. So this was her second known offense of stealing. Mm -hmm. Who knows how many there were. There could have been a lot more. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I feel like teenagers love to steal stuff. (laughs) Even in high school, I knew people who would be like, I stole my prom dress. I was like, what? How do you steal a prom dress? Put it in a backpack. Oh my God. Yep. To me, it seems different just stealing something from a store versus like stealing someone's credit card information. Agreed. I don't know. I feel like there's like a little bit of a step there. If you steal from a store, you're stealing from a store, but like you steal a credit card, you're stealing from a person and that's like unlimited really. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And also like, would she have stopped if she hadn't gotten caught? Exactly. That's the thing. Probably not. Like how much would she have stolen? This could have been like a long-term plan where she could have kept stealing over time. And then- Maybe she was like, oh, I'm going to start out, like, test it out with, like, small purchases to see if I get away with it. And then who knows? Then she buys a whole car. Yeah. yeah. That's why I think that she had stolen other things in between West Point mm-hmm. and this credit card fraud. Just because, like you just said, like, that's a huge step. All right. On to her relationship with Billy. So the people in Maura's life said that her relationship with Billy was not going well. Many believed that he was controlling and their relationship together was not as healthy as it could have been or should have been. So before Mara's disappearance, Billy was stationed in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Apparently, Mara had recently arranged a job for herself at the hospital in Oklahoma over the summer so that they could spend more time together. Hmm. Even though separated from each other because of his military assignment in the South, Billy and Mara spoke regularly. They shared a phone call account. It was like, yeah, just a phone account. Mm. I know because his mom had records of their phone calls, but it was like both of their phone calls. Okay. It was a different time back then. Mm-hmm. So both Billy and Mara were accused of infidelity. Mm-hmm. So apparently Mara was having an affair with her track coach by the name of, I'm going to butcher this once again, Hossein Baghdadi? I think it's just like Hossein Hossein Baghdadi. Baghdadi. Okay, Hossein Baghdadi. I'm sorry. Like, I'm... This man (laughs) reports that Mara had discussed with him about running away, as well as wanting to get away from Billy, who was allegedly extremely controlling. Hmm. So who knows if this is accurate? I don't know. But just some something yeah. to think about. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to get into the nitty gritty of it. The week leading up to her disappearance was pretty disturbing. Honestly, like there, a lot went down. Mm-hmm. So one day on February 5th, Mara was on duty at her campus security job. During her shift, Mara talked to her sister Kathleen over the phone where they discussed Kathleen's relationship issues with her fiance. Around 10.30 p.m., while still on her shift, she allegedly broke down into tears. When the supervisor arrived at her desk, she described Mara as just completely zoned out. No reaction at all. She was unresponsive. A lot of people online describe this as a catatonic state. Mm Mm-hmm. At around 1.20 a.m., her supervisor escorted Mara back to her dorm room. When the supervisor asked her what was wrong, Mara was only able to speak two words. My sister. Oh. The details on this phone call 
were unknown until October of 2017, so relatively recently. Mm-hmm. When Kathleen publicly explained this conversation, Kathleen was a recovering alcoholic, and that evening she was released from a rehab clinic. On the way home, her fiance took her to a liquor store, which yeah. obviously led to an extreme emotional breakdown. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a lot to process. It's just fucked. Like, I would also be upset if, like, my sibling or, like, obviously I don't have any, but if one of my friends told me a story like that. That that is clearly something that was very upsetting to her. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So this is an alternate story to what happened on February 5th, okay? I personally don't really think that this happened, but a lot of people believe it. So I figured Mm -hmm. I would just put a snippet in there. Coincidentally, sometime between midnight and 1 a.m. on February 6th, someone critically injured a UMass student by the name of Petrit Bossi and fled the scene, leaving this man for dead, which is horrible. So horrible. Yeah. So some people theorize that this was Mora that hit this poor man, and this is why she had that emotional breakdown that led to a catatonic state. Hmm. I mean... That would do it. Like, what I saw here was that, like, she needed physical assistance to, like, get to her room because she was so distraught. Yeah. I came across that in my research, too. Mm-hmm. Like, her supervisor had to literally yeah. help her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's a couple problems with that one, right? Oh, yeah. there's a bunch. Like, the paint from her car didn't match the student. The, also, the distance. the distance and the fact that she was not reported as leaving her job until her supervisor walked her home. So she would have been at work the whole time. So I thought I read that she left to get food. Oh, yes, I read that case, too. I'm completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, she left to get food. And it was, I think, like 20 minutes after, which is why people do find it mm. so suspicious. Yeah. So like we said, the supervisor had to bring her to her room and then advised Maura to seek counseling, mm-hmm. which sounded pretty accurate. It's definitely something mm-hmm. that she probably would have benefited from. All right. So a lot of people believe that her dad knew about this hit and run later on he takes out like an amount of money and i'll talk about that but they believe that he knew of her plan to run away and was gonna help support her with it but again i we don't know yeah it's also like really important to note that hit and runs were extremely common at this time at umass (laughs) which just does not shock me because it's already crazy and there's like 100 crosswalks everywhere. And I'm sure back then there was like negative crosswalks. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you go, you mass. I feel like drunk driving was also just kind of more prominent mm. because now like there's there's yeah. cops just sitting everywhere waiting to pull over a drunk driver. That's interesting. Yeah, I'll have to see if like drunk driving has gone down because I feel like maybe it was more socially I don't think it was ever really socially acceptable, but more so then than it might be Like, now. more people were maybe inclined to, like, turn the other cheek. Right. And now it's, like, so easy. You can get right. an Uber. You know, like, there's not really any – there never is an excuse, but, like, there really is mm-hmm. not an excuse. <laughs> All right. So, Saturday, February 7th. Maura's father, Fred, came to visit her. They spent the afternoon together looking for cars since Maura's car was not running super well. Which, again, people argue it wasn't running well because she hit somebody. Yeah. But 
there's also other accounts of like that her car was actually not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also people who like don't know if they actually were even looking for cars that day because there's no yeah, like there's no record they of were. her actually trying to buy a car just that so they took the money out of the ATM and allegedly were car shopping. Mm. Like that's according right. to Fred. Like why would I don't know. Why, why would he? he lie? Yeah. I don't we know. don't really have anyone else's yeah. word, so. Yeah, it's true. So Mara had a had two part-time jobs on top of going to school for nursing. Jesus. When she sleeps. Damn girl. <laughs> and she got straight A's. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So both of her jobs were in walking distance, so she didn't need to rely on her car for that. But like I said, she was a nursing student. So obviously she had nursing clinicals that she had to drive to, which was a much longer drive. Um, Mora was getting rides from other students. To avoid putting any more stress on her car, one of Mora's friends reported that Mora had not even been comfortable driving her car to a local grocery store because it had previously been stranded there one afternoon because she couldn't get the car to start. Hmm. So Fred said that he withdrew $4,000 out of the bank to purchase the car. He stopped at several ATMs to take out this cash, but this was not enough to afford the 2011 geo prism that mara liked 2011 2001 oh jesus has to be 2001 i was like wait (laughs) she had been long gone (laughs) wow that's remarkable that's a really nice car for 2004 i mean 2001 would still be pretty nice for 2004 oh yeah i literally drive a 2005 (laughs) i drove a 2005 (laughs) up until last year so i'm not judging So Fred said that she was going to have to wait until the following weekend so that he could get the rest of the cash. Like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of theories that he actually took out this cash to give to her because she was planning on getting away and he wanted her to have money with her. I can't believe that he would do that for her to just disappear. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? After he's been looking for her so long. I don't know. I don't really Mm -hmm. buy that one, but... I know a lot of people are very suspect of yeah. the money. I, mean, I think the money is in and of itself suspicious, but I don't necessarily think suspicious points to an explanation. Yeah. Maybe it was a cover and it was just something he didn't want to tell. Like it was something that he was planning to buy that he didn't want right. to tell people about. I don't know. So that night, Fred took Mora and one of her girlfriends out to dinner at a local pub. So Fred and Mora's friend had a couple drinks while Mora had a mixed drink. So there's no evidence of them like being sloshed or anything like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> yep. So when it started getting late, Fred wanted to return to the Quality Inn that he was staying at. He told Mora that she was welcome to use his new car for the night, like his brand new car. Mm. She and her friend dropped off Fred before returning back to campus. They went to a small dorm party where they both consumed wine and wine coolers. Mora left the party at 2.30 a.m. and told her friends that she was going to get some sleep. Her friends assumed that she meant she was going to go back to her dorm, because that just makes sense. Instead, Mora made the decision to drive to her father's car back to his hotel. Oh, okay. So the Quality Inn, where he was staying, was less than 10 miles away from campus, and the drive would usually take about 15 minutes, so it was pretty close. Sadly for Mora, this was not going to be a simple drive. She went straight at a T intersection and smashed directly into a guardrail. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. 
That'll do it. So the damage was extensive, rendering the vehicle inoperable. A brand new car, mind you. Police arrived at the scene in just a few minutes. There's no evidence that they performed any sobriety tests or issued any tickets or citations. But a lot of people theorize that she was drunk. She went to a party and then drove home. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Yeah. So police called the tow truck for her car. And the driver gave Maura a ride to Quality Inn where Fred was staying. Fred told the police that Maura was in the room when he woke up the next morning around 10 a.m. He wasn't happy about the accident because, like I said, it was a brand new car that had to be towed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't blame him. I mean, I would yeah, not be happy that either. Would, that would also annoy me. So after he calmed down, he made arrangements to pick up a rental car and have his car towed to a local Toyota dealership to be repaired. And then he was going to return the following week to return the rental and get his car. After picking up the rental car, Fred drove Maura back to her dorm. On the ride back, Maura was clearly upset and was whimpering in the car. Fred tried to reassure her that the car would be fixed and to stop worrying about it. He dropped her off in front of Kennedy Hall around 1 p.m. He said that she slumped into the building, indicating that she was still upset about the accident. But, like, who wouldn't be upset? Yeah. No, I think that's perfectly valid to be upset still. Yeah. Even even regardless of, like, any liability issues or the damage to the car, it's very being an, an accident, accident regardless. So. And especially if alcohol was involved in this, that's a reason for you to be even more upset. But, again, I don't know if it was. I'm not saying that it was. This is just a theory. Mm-hmm. That people put out there. So later that night, Fred learned that the damage to his car was going to cost around $10,000. That is a lot of freaking money. Ouch. And actually, that's equivalent to $14,300 in 2021. Yeah, that's a lot of inflation. money for a car repair. Also, yep. it's probably more now because Way more. inflation has definitely went up since 2021. Mm-hmm. Especially because you can't even get a car nowadays because it's like impossible. However, his insurance agreed to pay for mostly all of it. So that was good news. He called Mara later that night, telling her not to worry and that he didn't have to spend a lot of money to fix it. He just needed Mora to go to the police the following day in order to get an accident report, just so mm-hmm. then Fred could admit it for insurance. So she promised that she would do that. Fred told her to call him the next day and he would help her with the forms. Maura agreed to call him around 8 p.m. Sadly, that call never came. Oh. And this is the last time he talked to his daughter. Oh. I know. So I know. So horrible. So I also saw on a website that at 4.49 a.m., Fred had made a call to Maura's boyfriend, Billy. I think I know what this is. So because I read that there were reports that Maura had used Fred's phone to make a call. To Billy. Oh. So I think it was her. Okay. Which honestly does make sense because she calls Billy after every traumatic event that happened. Yeah. Except for like before she left. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it does make sense. That makes way more sense. I was like, this is kind of strange. So thank you for clearing that up right. for me. All right. So now we're on to Monday, February 9th, which is the day that she went missing. But I'm just going to, like, scratch the surface Mm -hmm. because 
my friends here are going to tell you the rest about it. We're going to dig into it. Yeah. (laughs) So on February 9th, Maura sent an email to her nursing professors and her manager at the campus art gallery that Monday. She said that she had a death in the family and we would be gone for the week. So she packed up most of the items in her dorm room. She even took the posters off the wall, which just like really stood out to me because I don't know, like posters should live forever, right? The idea of taking one off, like you're going to ruin it. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I get it. I... <laughs> <laughs> posters live forever. That's like Rachel's, sl- Rachel's new slogan. Posters live forever. <laughs> I agree that that's suspicious. I do. I don't know if I would have phrased it like, yep, posters live forever. Not really in a college dorm room that you're supposed to move out of at some point. No, yeah. (laughs) All I can think of is like in my high school, like the room that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. I didn't take anything Mm -hmm. down until like I moved out of that house. Yeah. And like I had a freaking picture of Cord Overstreet in gold spandex. Oh, Oh, yeah. It was a little spicy. That would be like my sleep paralysis Mm -hmm. demon. (laughs) <laughs> I had a poster of puppies in Converse shoes in my room until I moved out of that room when I was um, 20. So nice. It happens. <laughs> okay. So she even took some of her possessions with her, but left, left most of her things in the room. Everything was neatly packaged and organized like she was preparing to move out. So that is a little bit weird. But Christine is going to talk about that a little bit later on. So there was no death in Maura's family. And there had not been any kind of family emergency. So clearly she was planning on going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, we don't really know where. Because we knew that there was no issues with her family. So Billy said that he received a voicemail from Maura during the afternoon of February 9th. This is a quote. So quote begins here. Regardless of why she went up here, I'm certain that she wanted me to know, he said in a telephone interview from the Vermont Motel. She told me she missed me. She told me she also asked him to call her if she did not hear from him. She would call him again, he said. That call never came. Also, there is evidence that Maura sent Billy an email at 1 p.m. that said, I love you more, stud. And then it was like, I got your messages, but honestly, I don't feel like talking to much of anyone. I promise to call today, though. Love you, Mora. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to talk about Mora's eating disorder. It is theorized that she had bulimia, but I just want to preface this with saying I'm unsure how much of this is accurate. So literally everything said here really should be taken with a grain of salt. So allegedly, her family was aware of her eating disorder. There's talk that her mom made an unkind joke relating to Mora's bulimia at Thanksgiving, which was extremely embarrassing to Mora, Mm -hmm. obviously. Understandable. Mm -hmm. People in Kennedy, the dorm that she lived in, whispered about it. Also, like, what do you expect? Like, they're college kids. They whisper about everything they can. Mm -hmm. So if she did have bulimia, it would be very hard to binge and purge without people catching on when you live in a dorm room of over 250 women yeah but i cannot tell you how many times when i was at umass that i listened to other people throwing up in the bathroom didn't matter what time of day it was mm-hmm. it happened because people were drinking all the time too it so happens. I don't really it's, it's one of those that. things that i feel like if it was the same person multiple times i would be like 
hmm, what's going on here? But also, like, it's college. People just throw up, so. Yeah. Also, like, who knows if he had stomach issues? Right? Like, look at you, Kate. That's true. Yeah, I was thinking about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I'm a puker, but I just have a weak stomach. <laughs> That's it. Kate, I can't with your, I can't with your puke noise. <laughs> I yell when I puke. We don't need to talk about that. Let's move on. It's so funny, though. It is. (laughs) Well, okay, so also, like, how many people heard me throwing up in the bathroom? Like, I definitely had my fair share of my head in the toilet, sadly. Yeah. All right, so, since she bought large amounts of food through credit card fraud, a lot of people describe this as binging food. I don't really know about that, but her father had access to her account, so that may be why she stole the credit card and and even committed fraud in the first place because she didn't want her dad to find out Mm -hmm. especially if her family was already aware it's a good point yeah but apparently like she ordered a lot of food like more than for just one person eating alone but the thing is like your eyes are always bigger than your stomach girl like (laughs) especially if like you were out drinking for the night or like whatever Mm -hmm. you know and then i found this on reddit which just kind of like made me upset so again i had to put it is it possible that she was sharing her 3am dominoes with people Sure, but I don't buy it. Okay, girl. No, I definitely buy that. Who doesn't order drunken food or whatever? Even at 3 a.m. if you're up studying, like I'm hungry. That's a very presumptive quote. I know. Like the nerve of some people that like write about this stuff is extreme. Also, like if she did have an eating disorder, alcohol would have a different impact on her compared to somebody who didn't have an eating disorder. So people with eating disorders often have fluctuating tolerance for alcohol, depending on how dehydrated they are, when the last time they ate, what their blood sugar is. A lot of factors go into that. Because obviously we all know if you drink on an empty stomach, you're going to get drunker faster. Yes, you are. So this definitely could have played a role in the accidents. So like Maura didn't realize that she had drank that much. She's like, oh, it was just a couple of beers. But if she hadn't eaten all day or even for multiple days, we don't know. She was going to get intoxicated faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So before I pass off the torch, these are just some things that I came across that I just like had to include because they're literally gut-wrenching. Maura's mom, Laura Murray, died on May 4th, 2009 from cancer. And if you guys remember, that's Maura's birthday. Oh. This poor woman. That's terrible. Like, not only did she have to live with the fact that she was never going to know what happened to her daughter, but on top of that, she passed away on her daughter's birthday. That's terrible. That's so sad. Another thing that also got me straight in the heart was her father, Fred, told Daily Collegian in January 2005 that he would spend a lot of his time at local bars around UMass, hoping to overhear even the slightest bit of info just in case people were talking about Mara. So like, that's just like so horrible. Like I can't imagine going through that. Mm -hmm. Especially like, I don't know, you're watching all these other college students, like having a great time knowing your daughter's not going to get that. Yeah. That would be so tough. I can't Mm -hmm. even imagine. Okay. So thank you so much for listening to me babble, but I'm tired and I'm done now. Okay. (laughs) That was a really, really eloquent torch passing moment. So thanks for tuning in to part one of what is now going to be a two-part series on Maramari because there's just so much information to take in here that we couldn't cover it in one. 
and do any sort of justice to her memory and the case itself. So um, we'll have a part two coming up with some details of the disappearance and a few theories. Um, So make sure you tune in for that. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening.